You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. All right, hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, well, I don't have anybody with me. <laughs> uh, we're still on our summer vacation, but new episodes, new, brand new, whoa. brand new episodes will come out next week, August the 7th. For now, we still have our little best of series that we've been running over the summer since Jeff fell down, go boom. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's fine. Uh, Jeff's doing great. Thank you for all your messages and concerns. Like I said, the uh, new episode with a slightly tweaked format will premiere next week, August the 7th. For all the listeners that have stuck around, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And welcome aboard to any new listeners we've picked up along the way. I started this show four years ago with my friend Gabby, a.k.a. Jezebel. And Jeff came aboard three years ago. And my mission statement, my idea was to to put more positivity out there in the world. If you've noticed, our stories tend to circle around the positive. We don't talk about negative things. You never hear like an 18 people died in a volcano. It's always going to be, you know, something more fun. At the very least, maybe something silly. But we tend to focus around things that we enjoy and we love. We talk about movies and we talk about music. Even when we talk about songs that we think are horrible there's still something there that we like about them and you know if nothing else we're trying to make you laugh once again thanks everybody for sticking around we will see you back here in seven days as i like to say for brand new episodes new segments new format just a new show for everybody also stick around after the closing buffer for our annual blooper reel always fun July 31st, 1976, the face that launched a thousand conspiracy theories. Uh, NASA releases the famous Viking 1 photo showing the face on Mars, immediately launching speculation again that there is some long-lost civilization on the Red Planet, building on the original theory that Percival Lowell created because he mistranslated channels for canals or something in, right. the, like, 1910. And this photo of uh, what looks very much like a face with, like, a hat on, not a happy hat, like a like the hat you'd see like if you're looking at if they put a hat on Easter Island statues right. made out of rock. This is what it would look like, and it's like, oh, that looks just like a face. And if you look at it now, the picture from the Viking One voyage looked just like a face, and it stayed like that until many years later, another mission went back with a better camera. You know, yeah, they couldn't find the it. Yeah, picture, <laughs> and it's like it doesn't look like a face at all. It looks like a big pile of sand. Right. I, I was listening to another podcast. <gasps> Shh, don't tell Jeff. I was listening to another podcast that was talking about not so much conspiracy theories, but like internet rumors 
and how they start and how impossible they are to kill once they do start. Yes. Like, you could say, I don't know, just like, you know, pick a celebrity. You know, Billie Eilish is dead. And then Billie Eilish will come on screen and be like, uh, hi. I'm, I'm not dead yet. No, she'd be like, <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. And then, and then, like, every conspiracy theorist in the world will, like, double down. Deep fake. That's an actress. This, that, I mean, you don't even have to go as far as Billie Eilish. There are rumors that say that Avril Lavigne is dead. I heard that Chad Kroger ate her. Is that <laughs> true? No, he's just writing songs for her now. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, the rumors start, and they're just impossible to stop. And yeah, the, there was an interesting podcast I just listened to recently about that. Wow, I'll have to check it out. Yep. It's called Tiffany Dover is Dead, I think it's called. Tiffany Dover is Dead. I'll check it out for sure. All right. Uh, okay, August 1st, 1996. George R.R. R. Martin, who looks sort of like Santa Claus, publishes the epic fantasy novel Game of Thrones, <laughs> the first in his long-running and hitherto unfinished series A Song of Ice and Fire. Santa Claus looks like a drunken R.R. Martin. He does. Like, <laughs> ho, ho, holy crap, I'm never going to finish this series of books. The reason that I, I picked this one is it was interesting to see how quickly this became sort of must-see television. It's the be- it's it's not the beginning of, but it's like the logical outgrowth, I think, of that, t- that sort of weird prestige TV that gets a lot of money put into it. And yeah. it's and it's really uh, faithful to the source material, so it brings in not only the fans of the source material, but also a bunch of people from outside because it's compelling, and it grows far, far beyond what it would have ever done by itself. And yeah, then it makes new new fans for the source material too. Yeah, right. I know people that so, never read Game of Thrones until they saw the the series, and then they went back and read the books. Yeah, right. And not only that, but then they'll read other epic fan like fantasy novels are notorious for having like episode seven, twenty two, or book. 99 of 4 million, yep, you yep. know? Other epic fantasy series that continue to go on and on, like the Robert Jordan Wheel of Time series and some other stuff. The general manager of my company, whenever he came on board, uh, you know, he was announcing, you know, introducing himself to everybody in a meeting. He made reference that he's like a huge nerd. He loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe and he loves Star Wars and he was a huge, huge, huge fan of Game of Thrones. And with the exception of like, Two or three of us, nobody knows what the hell he's talking about. I know what he's talking about when it comes to like Star Wars and the Marvel movies, but I've never seen anything from the Game of Thrones. And every single meeting, and you know, prior to the pandemic, he was doing meetings once a month. Every single meeting, he would throw out these Game of Thrones references. And then you just get like a room full of old Portuguese women just kind of like blinking at him, like just mm-hmm. waiting to get released from the meeting. It's always fun when you're the one guy who's like, I'm the cultural touchstone here. <laughs> and nobody else cares. Can you wrap this up? I got a malasada that's cooling down. Right. And nobody gets that joke, but that's fine. And nobody gets that joke, yes. Game of Thrones, apparently, he had written, I'm going to just throw out numbers because I don't know anything, five books, and each season was based on each particular book, and then they ended up surpassing what he wrote, and then, you know, just making stuff up to finish the series that had nothing to do with the books, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he contributed some outlines and stuff and and worked as a consultant on them. So it wasn't like, what do you mean they have iPhones now? You know what I mean? It wasn't like it wasn't like that. But yeah, they definitely outpaced his ability to produce the material. Right. Which is good and bad. It's it's good in that it certainly creates the impetus for him to put the next to try and like knuckle down as a writer it's hard to do that sometimes but knuckle down and like get the next book out but two it it gives other people an opportunity to work in that 
universe with those characters and build on what he's already done so that if something happens to him down the road and it continues to be popular the stories can continue the characters can continue to live on sort of like when frank herbert died and his kid took over and now someone else and his i think his grandson or frank herbert's grandson are writing dune books well this that's also kind of like backwards engineering like the star wars universe where you had uh the three movies and then you know people were writing the the expanded universe. Then they did the right. prequels, and then there was expanded universe with the prequel characters. Then when they came right. out with the sequels, you know, Force Awakens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right, right. It just negated everything in the in expanded universe. Right. Like all those stories, and those some some of those were fantastic stories. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, if you take the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. And then Martin decides he's going to finish writing his books eventually. Is the canon of the show going to get thrown out for what he decides to write? Or is he going to have to adapt what he writes to incorporate what they've added to the story in the show? Like, there's another component to it, too. Characters that might be created specifically for the television show, will he have to incorporate them into his further writing? And so there's a, a whole bunch of, like, interesting components to this as it, as it grows and grows and grows. It's one of the things that I really like about that kind of media, even if it's not the genre that I typically read or watch. Yep. But from a cultural and business and literature perspective, it's really interesting. Uh, August 2nd, 1973, George Lucas's first real feature film, American Graffiti, premieres at the Locarno International Film Festival in Switzerland. Did you ever see American Graffiti, Bill? I have not, but I used to watch Happy Days, if that makes any sense. It does, because Happy Days is a direct extension of American Graffiti. It's a story about kids uh, in the 1950s, high school kids on like right around the eve of graduation and having a summer night together, cruising up and down the boulevard in their hot rods and the relationships that they have with one another and other friends. Yeah, it's an ensemble cast too, isn't it? It's a it big, is indeed. It's a big cast, yeah. Yep. Lucas's contribution to, to film, he has a million contributions to film. It's hard to overstate, but yep. one of the things that he did was he wrote the song titles that he wanted to use for every page and every scene change throughout the screenplay, which had never been done before. The, the score for the film was all popular music from the era that the film was made. That the film was portraying, not that the film was made. It was made in 1972. When you said he wrote every song, I, it sounded like he composed every song, but no, he wrote at the top of the script, you know, uh, Wake Up Little Susie, right. and then the scene would follow right. this, the, the theme of Wake Up Little Susie. I see what you mean. Right, okay. and, and it uses the, the film itself uses something like 106 songs in it. Wow. All of those rock and roll songs are the soundtrack, so the whole soundtrack was made of popular music from the era that the film depicts, which had not been done until that point. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good film. It's really, really interesting to watch, especially to see Harrison Ford, who looks like he's like 13. Right, yeah. yeah. Harrison Ford's in that. A lot of the cast that ended up in Happy Days is in that. Ron Howard's in it, and so Cindy Williams. Yes. Yes. Who was uh, on Laverne and Shirley, but, I mean, she started off with Happy Days. Yeah, well, that was a spinoff of Happy Days, so it, it all tracks, as they say. Uh, that's on my uh, on my to-do list. I do, I do want to see that movie. That's, I mean... It's an American classic, haha, even though it premiered in Switzerland. <laughs> All right, yeah. moving on to the third. August 3rd, 1875, Robert Ernest House is born. And if that name doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't. He discovered something called scopolamine hydrobromide, the first truth serum. <laughs> and it was used for a long time until people realized that it was causing some of the people who were given the truth serum to have like hallucinations. <laughs> so anything they told you was suspect. <laughs> 
It's a deeper <laughs> truth. The deeper truth of what's really going on. It opens up your third eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like the Alex Jones quality truth. <laughs> the weird thing was that it was administered on little on little paper tablets with a picture of Mickey Mouse on them. I've never seen anything like that. That just that reminds me of that scene from Remember True Lies with Donald Schwarzenegger and Jimmy Lee yes. Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yes. First, I'm going to stab you in the neck. <laughs> then I'm going to break his neck. Then I'll kill you. Oh, and how are you going to do that? I picked the handcuffs. <laughs> I love that. She's like, are they going to kill us? Yes, they're going to kill us. <laughs> All right, what do we got for August the 4th? August of the 4th, uh, 2006. Uh, leave it to the Japanese in 2006 to create the world's longest hot dog. And how it's big... Hot dog. Hold on. And how big was said hot dog? Uh, said hot dog was 197 feet long in a bun. Jumping, Jesus Christ, on a yep. pair of rubber crutches. And when the bun ma- measured 198 feet. <laughs> of course it didn't was fit. Made, of course. <laughs> and it was made by the Shizuoka Beat Producers of Shizuoka, Japan. And the All Japan Bread Association. Try and fit that on the back of a Little League jersey. I <laughs> challenge you. <laughs> that record only stood until 2011, though. Because another hot dog measuring 669 feet, three times as long, almost four times as long, and weighing approximately 280 pounds. Oh, yes. I remember the great the great hot dog wars of the 2000s. Right. Who looked at the Japanese hot dog and said, 197 feet? Pishaw. Uh, yeah, we could beat that. <laughs> but I'm on yeah, it. 669 feet of hot dog. So two hot dog stories. Yes. One, whenever I go to any place that has like carnival style food, I yes. always ask for the big ass pretzel by name. So I'll be like, yeah, can I get a Mountain Dew popcorn and a big ass pretzel? And usually they don't really give it a second thought. It just, it just goes right over their head, right? This one time I asked for a hot dog and a big ass pretzel. And the woman goes, do you want a big ass hot dog too? And I'm like, Whoa, you have big-ass hot dogs? She goes, we sure do, right? <laughs> so I think she was hitting on you, Bill. Uh, we, yeah, well, it gets worse. So, oh. <laughs> so this... Now it's, hey, is that a big-ass cold sore you got there? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need some big-ass lip balm. <laughs> so anyway, um, this woman gives me my big-ass pretzel and then puts down in front of me a big-ass hot dog. Now, it is very easy and low-hanging fruit to make dick jokes out of hot dogs, okay? Right. But normally, in a, in a perfect world, the length-to-girth ratio of a hot dog is cartoonish at best. Right. Not this one. This one this just one. looked like a big old porn dong is what it looked like. The, the length-to-girth of this belonged in a sex education movie, really. (laughs) So she puts it down, and don't forget the color, right? So she puts this thing down in front of me, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at her, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at her, and she's like, what's the matter? I go, I I was brought up Catholic. I wasn't prepared for this. (laughs) So I'm telling this story with my friends when I'm down in Florida. I was down in Universal Studios. And then come to find out, at Universal Studios in the CityWalk area, they sell big ass hot dogs. You've heard of like the footlongs, right? Yeah. This thing was two feet long, Jeff. A two foot long hot dog. It was like thirteen dollars. Wow. Did I get it? You bitch, a sweet ass. Bitch I did. Ass. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and and, and I, I keep saying I've been a vegetarian now for it'll be three years. It's three years. It was three years in July. Oh, yeah. uh, three years this July. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that when I finally cave, because it's coming, yep. can't maintain this lifestyle forever. <laughs> you just can't. It's, it's going to be a hot dog that I love. Hot dog. I love hot dogs. They have always been one of those weird comfort foodie things that I've always loved. And the cheaper and shittier the hot dogs they are, the better. All right, so moving on to August the 5th. Uh, oh, this must have been a sizzler. August the 5th, 1921, KDKA of Pittsburgh broadcast the Pittsburgh Pirates beating the Philadelphia Phillies in the first baseball game broadcast over the radio. Yeah, I wonder what those early broadcasts were like as people were trying to figure out how to do play-by-play for a game that moves as slow as baseball. Well, I mean, use your imagination on this, too, because, like, prior to this, there was baseball. I mean, the you know, the baseball leagues have been around since before the yeah. 1900s. Yes, 1860s. Yeah, so, like, people must have just, like, read about it in the newspaper. Well, I know that when Ronald Reagan started his career in broadcasting, he would read out baseball. I'm saying this with air quotes. He'd read out the baseball game as if the game was going on, and all he was reading was, like, Smith pitched to home plate. Oh. And uh, Jones went to first. And he'd, he'd go and be like, oh, it's a long hit from first, you know, and he's on his way to first. He's rounding first. He's rounding first and rounding second. Meanwhile, this is all taking place in another town that he can't see. And he's doing it all based on text. Did he make all the sound effects too? Like, I could just picture like Ronald Reagan doing like Michael Winslow from Police Academy there. <laughs> I- I, I think he had a, a record player that played crowd sounds, so he would make crowd sounds as if he was there. And I'm sure it wasn't hard for him to come up with a, well, let's see, uh, I need something that sounds like a baseball being hit. And, oh, hey, that'll work. But uh, imagine that, like, you're out there, and this is the, fir- this is the first time. Like, it's not like they're going to play a game for you to practice. Right, right, right. Broadcasting what the game is like, so it's like, all right, he's on the mound. 30 seconds goes by. He winds up, and there's a pitch. Oh, it's a strike. Is it a strike? It's a strike, yep. Ten seconds later, the ball's back. He's throwing the ball back to the mound. And, and trying to make a game that moves as slow as baseball exciting on radio. It took time. must have taken a relatively short time, but time for people to get good at it. Yeah, because like and a then, baseball game is usually... I don't know how it was then. Because now on television, you know, there's so many commercials and they got to break for the commercials and all that. So a baseball game on television typically stretches out to like th- almost three hours. But I don't think it would be three hours if they're just trying to get a game done for the radio. But even then, it must have been like boring. When I was watching the, the Red Sox, if I couldn't be in front of the TV, if I was doing something in the yard or whatever i used to love to listen to weei sports radio out of boston where joe castiglione would do the play-by-play and he was super energetic and his banter in between whatever the slow ass events were during the game was always really good and he knew a whole lot about each of the players and stuff and it was really fun to listen to him and he made the game come to life sometimes even better than you could if you were watching it on tv he was far more entertaining to listen to than it was to watch sometimes and there would be days i'd put it on the tv but turn the volume off and let Joe Castiglione play. There was a little bit of a lag between what I'd hear on the radio and what I saw on TV. Yep. Didn't matter, you know? But I, I sat down and I said to myself, I was like, maybe I should stop watching baseball. And I tried, and it's, it's not for me. Somebody that's a listener of the show, my friend Taylor, goes on and on about my accent all the time. She's from Cincinnati. She thinks my accent is hilarious. 
let me tell you something. Me watching that baseball game was like Taylor listening to this show because I yeah. could not stop laughing at their accent. As strong as my accent is, theirs was way worse. So depending on when you were watching it, it could have been like Dennis Eckersley or Jerry Remy or any any of the you any of the recent be pulling uh, names guys, out of yeah. your ass right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, I am pulling them out of my ass, but like those those were some of the guys that were doing the TV stuff when I was watching. The big ass sports announcers. All right, let's move on to August the sixth. August 6, 2018, Alex Jones is removed from YouTube and other internet resources because there's too many of them to list. It's a conspiracy is what it is. And uh, agree with the idea of deplatforming somebody or not. It sort of forced him out of the position of being somebody who had more influence in particular political circles than he has now. I don't know if it's a good idea to, to sort of have the marketplace to silence voices like that or not i've given it thought and i, I can make arguments either way so I, I don't have a firm position and i feel bad that the guy's sort of wackadoo crazy ass lifestyle is supported by a show that he begs people to buy gold and survival food and tells people that the devil is coming don't and don't forget his uh extra tangy tangerine uh fruit vitality drink fruit vitality drink yeah he's he sells all kinds of like questionable products on his show and, and spends a lot silver. of time like it's made of colloidal that's not what it means i don't care get out get out of the bunker um get out of here you sleaze stack it, it's entirely possible that had he just been left to do his thing and freaking youtube and whatever that he would be far less deranged than he is sort of at the moment so i don't know i don't know if it's good or bad but it is something that happened and it's it's sort of started the conversation all across the the news reading or listening world as to who should or shouldn't have access to this to mar marketplace of ideas and it's it's a weird place to, to to sort of make the argument from either place yeah i mean so see i can make the argument because i don't like him you know actually i think the guy's hilarious and i actually used to listen to his show I couldn't do all three hours, but I used to listen to his show because I thought he was hilarious because to me it was like performance out. It's like you can't possibly think this is serious, you know? At the same time, but I mean, but the simple fact of the matter is we are being hosted by Pinecast, okay? And Pinecast has a set of rules. Now, yep. you come over my house, I have a set of rules. You're not allowed to play the Beastie Boys in my house, okay? Now, <laughs> you come over my house and you're and you stop playing, you know, Paul's boutique. You're like, hey, ladies. I'm like, all right, Jeff, you gotta go. And Alex yeah, Jones played a lot of Beastie Boys, figuratively speaking. And a, and, yeah, and a lot of play in a lot of people's houses. And I and I understand that. And and I do understand the market. These are private companies and into marketing. It's it's a much more complicated issue than like prior restraint or published speech like in a, a government newspaper or whatever and, and there's a lot of facets to it again i i don't have a i have a, i don't have a dog in the fight it's too complicated for me to comprehend and i can see the other sides of the argument i i just think that what's the best disinfectant drinking bleach no uh, <laughs> that was former guy uh it's sunlight right is being able to illuminate what it is that you think smells bad or that's how you find where the infection is right so I certainly did a number on my dvd covers yeah <laughs> if you leave the if you leave something in the sunlight it, it will be disinfected and when you push it under underground into other places that are like there's a whole underground ecosystem of things that are sort of like youtube and twitter but aren't and they're not as popular and they have a super rarefied condensed like dark matter version of the weirdest parts of humanity they're like the people that really believe that the sleep stacks are out there um, they are. and it's like this tiny weird ass echo chamber and that's kind of where he is now so. my favorite part about alex jones was his wife was divorcing him and in the custody battle she was like playing clips of his show showing what a you know 
maniac this guy is and he's like it's a yeah. it's a character I, i'm not really like that i'm not really like that it's a conspiracy against me i'm not really like that <laughs> yeah he's um i believe the phrase that my dad used to use i'm gonna just put this out there is uh nuttier than chipmunk droppings yeah. modern day uh colloquialism your friend bill likes to say cuckoo bananas the worst song ever all right, Jeff, my pick this week for the worst song ever. I don't know if it's a song that I don't like or it's the people that like the song that I don't like because I think that's the case. Maybe. Yeah, the song that I'm going with here is a song called Tub Thumping or oh. more colloquially known as I Get Knocked Down by the band Chubbawamba. Yeah, I love that song. I, I do. I like legit love that whole record. I think I have it still. Really? CD. Up until this morning, I knew three things about Chubbawamba. I knew which were tub thumping, and the other two yep. things that I knew about them were Jack and shit. I <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about them, but they're a really, really, really interesting band. They are a really interesting band. Let's let's talk a little bit about the song first before we get into them. Okay, I'll tell you why I like the song. I like stuff that's anthemic at times mm-hmm. and. This song borrows a lot from like the singing at a soccer game or football match yes. in the English tradition, English football tradition. There's a lot of that that is built into this. Right. The word tub thumping and, actually means like expressing your opinion very loudly, like uh, Fox and Friends will say. <laughs> right. Well, yes. Or, or everybody's singing like, you know, we will never, you'll never walk alone when they're at a, a Manchester United game or a Liverpool game. I can't remember which, I think it's Liverpool has that song as their, as their song. But it's got that super singability. It's really easy to remember the lyrics, and it's fun. And it's this, like, starts a little slower, and then it gets a little bit crazier, and they add a bunch of horns to it, and then it just repeats this crazy chorus of, I get knocked down, but I get up again, All right, so and you're never going to keep me down up forever. And it's really, really fun to sing along with it. Okay, I am going to be taking the piss out of this song, but uh, let's, let's just play the clip here. Here's the clip. Sure, sure, sure. And the thing is, like, this band, like, you said you have the album and you like the album and that and that's fine because I went back and, you know, today and through Spotify, I listened to, I'm not going to say three complete albums, but I listened to at least four songs off of three different albums from Chubbawamba. And yep. this is like Faith No More, where their most popular song doesn't sound like the rest of their catalog at all. Like if if you're ex- no no don't in me okay if you're expecting tub thumping out of Chumbawamba you are going to be sorely disappointed because the rest of this stuff not the rest of it but a lot of the rest of their stuff sounds like the freaking Carpenters. I don't know. I think Amnesia sounds that's on this album. I'm talking about the rest of their catalog. Ah, uh, the rest of I mean, yeah, they, they, they knew they were making a commercial record when they made this yes. one. This is the only one that has commercial hits on it, so I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah, this album so has a lot of like almost like dance tracks to it. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're totally like a weird, like pubby dancey pop band on and that album. They fall into this, that that's yeah. That's the thing is 
their genres jump around so much from album to album. They were around for like right. 30 years. Yeah, they yeah, they played for a long yeah. time. And the genres jump around so much from album to album. It's hard to say I like Chumbawamba because what are they? They don't have like a a, a cohesive line that draws to everything that they do except for their attitude. Well, well, I think that their attitude and their politics comes across in a lot of their other music too. Yeah. Uh again, um, you know, we're not talking about their career as a whole. We're talking about the song Tub yes, Thumping. Which, so. which I am going to argue with you. This song is just so freaking annoying. And like I said, it's not so much the song. It's the people that like it. I mean, the whole I get knocked down, but I get up again. You know, we're going to get me down. Like that is such a uh, beat your chest kind of. Like, hey, hey, it's it's monkey episode. You know what I mean? It's it's everybody's had a bad day. Everybody's had a bad couple of days everybody's had a bad year i understand that people like will hear that song and they're like hey that's me i get knocked down but i get back up again no one's gonna keep me down this is my theme song now it's like yep and you're missing the fucking whole point of the song but i mean again that's the subjective nature of music I, one of the reasons that i i like this song is is it became more important to me when i was recovering from open heart surgery and wasn't sure i was going to survive so like this song in wonderful by gary go and some others became songs that were in regular rotation because it would remind me to you know think positively and and yeah i did get back up and all right i you know try and generate yeah. energy to keep moving forward that's and i like all of that that's stuff. really funny because i was just actually just talking about the song walking on sunshine by katrina and the waves and i have such a great memory attached to that song that i don't even know if that's a good song anymore because it just makes me smile so i hear you when you're recovering from heart surgery and you know, tub thumping, you know, it kind of gets to be a theme song for you. Okay, fine. I'll give you a pass on that. But take that variable out of the equation. This is like a jock jam song. This is the kind of shit that yeah. they play in between plays at a football game. Yeah, like, absolutely. And and I, I don't think that that's anything that they've has ever not been the case. Like I said, it's a, it borrows from the tradition of singing at English football games, which you do continuously. Right. Uh, though what else is funny about the band Chubbawamba is... They are like militant left wing Marxist communists. They're like rage against yeah, they rage of... against the machine with acoustic guitars. They definitely uh, walk the talk. They all lived in a commune together, yeah. and they're like if if everybody in the young ones was Rick. Yeah, when they first came out, like '86, they had started. Uh, you know, that was like the heyday of like the charity singles, and they actually released like a mock charity single and the lyrics were all like making fun of you're not raising money for charity you're just trying to bolster your own image and stuff like that and then um all right so whenever tub thumper the album itself came out you know because that song was so popular they're getting featured on mtv and stuff like that and in interviews they're like yeah we want people to like shoplift and steal our album <laughs> they definitely are definitely unrepentant they got they got paid for another song in this record. They got paid uh, it was like 70, 70 grand or something from Pontiac, so they could use a song as their advertisements for the Pontiac vibe in the United right. States. And they took the money and they gave it to an uh, an, an anti capitalist anarchist group, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty awesome. And I'm over here looking at their uh, their Spotify, like we do. The number one song is Tub Thumping, and the number two song is. Tub thumping. Yeah, there's a bunch of remix albums. Well, of that it's not song. so much a, a remix 
album as it is. And here's me making my case in point. It's on a compilation album called All-Star Sports Jams. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. The people that like this song are not going to like Chubbawamba. Yeah, they were not going to buy any of the yeah. other records, that's and for sure. conversely, everything that I listened to today from Chubbawamba, I liked and I will go back and listen to, but I will skip right yep. over this track. I think this is a good one in their ov- overall fan of records, so I like this Oh song. my God, do you like Epic by Faith No More too? Yeah, I do. Ugh. Again, I can't. I saw Faith No More live on that tour, and I can't name any other songs uh, that they do other than that it's, one it's, and the it's, Lionel Richie song that they did. easily their worst song. So... Anyway, thanks for liking my bad song, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> that's all. At least I could do. All right. Yes. Uh, but that's going to wrap up the show. We'll see you back here in seven days. We're going to be pissing the night away. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Don't forget to tell all your friends about our podcast. Tell them it's like Shark Week, but for like more weeks and less sharks. Hi, master. What's that Mexican actor's name? Danny Terry? Not Danny Terrio. There's no way you didn't hear that one. I did. I did. It sounded like somebody having a a trombone solo outside your house. Jesus. She is best known for her role as the Wicked Witch of the West in the 1932 production of... Uh, Oh, my God. You can't remember. You're such a ding-a-ling. I know. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, yes. All those coughs are going to be fun to edit out. Sorry, man. I'm going to leave them all in. Okay, there you go. It's the tuberculosis hour with Jeff and Bill. Ah, okay. Hold on, let me say that again because uh, a a dirigible just went by. (laughs) So, uh, almost in October. February the 9th. There's a prestige amount of, like, going that. Stop talking. Stop talking. Sorry, Sorry, I didn't know. (laughs) And Madonna. Madonna. McDonald's (laughs) has this. (laughs) <laughs> Let me get the laugh out. <laughs> and wrapping up the birthdays. What year was this asshole born? <laughs> 1989. Yeah, their last album came out in 2012. They've been gone for a long time. Good. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out and say it somewhere. I'm going to cut that out and sing it like at the end of the show or put in the bloopers, whatever it was. Okay. <laughs> All right, play yourself together. I think the last thing that was recent that I saw him in was... That nah, doesn't matter because I can't remember any of the films that I've seen. <laughs> really, so. All right, and let's wrap up the week. That's you, fathead. Yes, I know. I had to make sure I knew the date. <laughs> I was like, 26? No. Because I remember them parody, 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 damn, I can't say the word, parodying him. I can't say it. <laughs> I remember them, like, making fun of him, which is funny because this is Porky Pig. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, you want me to do the Hellfire Missile joke? Um, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then, uh, nope, I got nothing. <laughs>